we don't succeed alone. And in giving gratitude, we're reminded of that, that we're all interconnected and no one is doing it on their own. And in that way, it also offers the space for us to remember that we don't fail alone. Welcome to Messy and Magnificent, the place driven women come to elevate their career, health, and relationships. In here, we increase your productivity by replacing always being busy with the space to breathe. Hear your own wisdom and be part of a sisterhood that has your back. My name is Carly Fain, and together we're going to make sure that you have a doable plan and the roots to rise. Why, hello there. It's your gal, Carly. Welcome back to Messy and Magnificent. So maybe you caught the last episode that we did, episode 41, on nourishment for the soul of your career. And if not, here's kind of the cliff notes. We spoke about how many women go through these bouts of brain fog or not being able to follow through on their goals. You've got good ideas, you get them started, and then actually seeing them to the end is really tricky. Or maybe you're always feeling behind, even though other people are really impressed with you. There's often this sense of judgment about it too, right? Because on top of the brain fog we're feeling or feeling behind or like we're lacking follow through, we mount on top of that questions like, what's wrong with me, (laughs) right? Why can't I get through this? And so often in my practice as a coach, we see that brain fog or declines in focus or drive aren't actually the root of the cause. In fact, they're just symptoms of needing nourishment. You know, we're so good at having goals for ourselves, but we don't always ask ourselves the question, okay, if this is the goal, then what is it that I need in order to live into that goal? And right now, during this time of such significant global shift and change, a lot of us are certainly craving a sense of stability, of having answers, of security, of things we can depend upon. And so I called upon one of my favorite people, Georgia Wall, to come be a guest here on Messy and Magnificent. And here's why. Georgia is an artist and an educator and a ceremonialist. She lives in New York City, and we connected a few months ago when I was navigating a lot of change in my own personal life. And she helped me create some rituals, some small, simple ceremonies that I could do. In fact, the work was so profound and so transformational that Georgia is, for lack of a better word, now on retainer. (laughs) I have like the divine ability to get to work with her on a monthly basis to create the rituals that give me life, that allow me to show up for the visibility of hosting a podcast and running a growing company. And this is something that's really interesting that I want to point out. For a lot of professional women, When we begin to get overwhelmed, it's common to want to hire professional assistants to get an executive assistant or somebody to do your marketing or answer your emails or whatever the work thing is that we need some support around. And that's great. But we don't always consider the internal support we need, meaning the things that we might need help taking off our plate at home right? Like, is there somebody else who could do my laundry for me? Could I hire somebody to cook my meals or to pick the meals up or to schedule my appointments or to wash my car for me? More in a personal assisting capacity can be a really tremendous help for a lot of women when their career is initially growing, because that's where the split is. We're feeling pulled between running our household and our personal lives and our career. And so, 
Ritual is so important to me. The very simple routines that I do on a regular basis, and you've probably heard me talk about what my clients do on a regular basis, we call it our daily thrive practice. It's become foundational to my career. It is no longer separate, but frame my work and my routine time. They're actually so deeply intertwined that they balance each other out. They give each other a sense of, of mojo. They give life to my work and my work gives life to the rest of my world. And so what's interesting about Georgia is that as a ceremonialist, she really doesn't work within a specific practice or lineage. What I cherish about her is that instead she seeks to uncover the specific inner ceremonies that you as an individual carry within you. And this is the ceremony that's necessary in arising for the specific moment you're in. It is born for your lived experience. And this can look like Georgia creating personalized and unique ceremonies for things that we often think about having ceremony around, marriages or deaths, college graduations, things like that. But she really at her heart is interested in creating ceremonies that honor the moments of transition, including a breakup or the process of going through a creative block or having a breakthrough a birth or an abortion or anything else that feels significant in your life that needs to be held by more than just you alone. So George and I had an incredibly insightful conversation that you're about to hear in the next moment about honoring the labor of your work and some very specific things that we can do to drop back into the moment of presence. So we're not worried about the future. We're not sweating the past. And we're not thinking about the 20 things we want to be better at. We're actually acknowledging what we're doing well, because that is where our own unique strengths lie. So without any further ado, welcome Georgia Wall. Well, Georgia, welcome to Messy and Magnificent. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. It's an honor. I've been excited to share Georgia with you, those of you who are listening, since the moment we met. <laughs> and so it's really a special treat to have you here. And so I'm curious, Georgia, for somebody who's listening for the first time, you know, you're a ceremonialist. What does that mean? Because this is more than just weddings, right? But like, what does it mean to be a ceremonialist? How would you describe your role? Well, I make ceremonies with and for people. And it's a process of really bringing intentionality around a specific event. It could be a wedding, it could be a funeral, it could also be something way more subtle, like a creative transition, a kind of internal transition, or something that isn't necessarily culturally agreed upon for ceremony, a breakup, an abortion, the decision that you make for your own self in your own life that maybe is not so visible to the outside world. That to me, and that struck such a deep chord in my heart as you explained the idea that we could create ceremony for whatever it is that we personally are honoring and that it might not look like anything to anyone else. That this could also be, because when we think of ceremony, I think in the West, we often think of big party, right? Or to your point, like funeral gathering, right? And, and that these are outward things that involve other people, but also to consider the ways that we might create ceremony for ourselves and mm-hmm. what that, and what that looks like. So yeah. What drew you to this work? What brought you? Yeah. Uh, well, I think I always say I've been making ceremonies my whole life. I truly believe most of us have. I think that humans by nature are ceremonialists. But as a child, you one might categorize it as 
imaginary play, which then gave way to my practice as an artist. And alongside that, I did create ceremonies for myself through my high school breakups, through, you know, when my family moved out of the apartment I grew up in, different events in my friends' lives. So that was kind of this parallel practice that brought me a lot of joy. And, you know, yeah, parallel to my art practice and my practicing as a teaching artist, as an educator. Then in 2018, I woke up in the middle of the night and I was like, I need to be a ceremonialist. I mean, I don't, didn't even quite know what that meant, but I realized I wanted to do it for others, for people I didn't know. And I wanted it to be a more, I wanted it to take up more space in terms of the work that I was doing. So that's, I, I don't know how I was led to it. I think I, you know, it was one of those situations where it was in me and I framed it at some point and realized that it needed to be a more external part of my practice. I am so curious about that because we talk a lot here about the nature of transition and how, you know, we're constantly in a state of transition on some level around some area, right? And especially those of us who are career driven, there's always growth or shifts or changes happening. And we often hear the before and after story of, Mm -hmm. I was doing this one career and then I had an aha and now I'm doing this other career, but there's this delicious and sometimes messy middle, right? So I'm just curious for you since, since you brought it up, what's, what did you do? So you wake up in 2018, literally in the middle of the night with this sudden drive that says, okay, I have time for me to really step into this role as ceremonialist officially. Then what, like, what, what do you do with that? Right. Well, maybe this is because I'm an artist, maybe not. The first thing I did was I gathered all of these images. I knew right away, I was very interested in this idea of the fig hand, fico mano, which is an Italian gesture that wards off the evil eye. And so I, for some reason that was really connected. I had these intuitive ideas of what the, I guess you could call it brand in, in, in business terms, but what the landscape and the texture of this work was. And so I went into kind of a, I went right away into images and then, and then it took me a while. And then I kind of just like sat with this knowing that I wanted to do this work and I had a name and I had these images and kind of an understanding of the shape of the thing. And then I guess I did, I did a little like detective work. I traced where this was in my life. And I think what you're saying about this idea of the transition before and after, what's so interesting is like usually in the before, there's a, there's a thread. And if you go back, you can see it leading all the way to age five. Um, and it depends on the story you want to be telling in that moment. You can pull out whatever thread is connected. But I, I went back and I, and I went to the people who I had created ceremonies for and asked them to tell me about that experience, gather those stories as a way to gather and solidify my own story. So seeing where I had already been doing it in my life um, gave me a lot of direction about where I wanted to go with it and how I could do it for a public, for, you know, the unknown other. Right, right. And everything you're saying reminds me of, we talk a lot in here about the four seasons of strategic growth, right? And how there are cycles and rhythms and circular patterns to the way businesses run in a more sustainable fashion in our new economy. And you're reminding me of 
you know, that fertile void moment. And for anybody listening who's wondering what I'm talking about, we'll put a link to the, the four seasons of strategic success in the, in the show notes so that you can, you can hear that episode. But that fertile void, that moment of I'm called to do something, I don't know exactly what that looks like yet. And so I hear you saying that literally middle of the night, I'm called to do this thing. Yeah. And then here you are playing with images because you're an artist and that is part of the way that you create. And so you're in that space of fertile void, not trying to go immediately to social media with it, not trying to immediately type up your business plan, but to just play and experiment with what's trying to come forward, right? And do the yeah. research. Yeah. You know, and I love your message of the thread, you know, going back to the beginning of who you are. I mean, when you start this conversation and you said, I've been doing ceremony since I was a little girl. Right. Like there it was. And I wonder for anybody else listening, what have you been doing since you were young? That's so natural to you that it's like breathing. Mm -hmm. And maybe it's not what everybody does, right? But it actually is something that that gives you life force, that gives you energy. It's it's part of who you are. Yeah. Um, I had a professor in art school, uh, Matthew Goulish, who said that, the gifts that we have, we also often can't see because they come so naturally to us that we believe they're innate for everybody. And that's true in your art making probably, you know, the thing that is so, you think everyone has a sensibility with color or you think everyone is really good at time management because that muscle is so natural to you that you don't see it. And I think it is a, a practice of recognizing where, what comes easily and that that's something to follow and celebrate and build on. And such a total reorientation of the way so many of us have been taught to work, especially for those of us who have been driven, right? Because we're so good. I'm curious for anybody listening, us high achievers at like making the list of 20 things we want to get to or get better at, right? We've got mm-hmm. all these goals, all these skills, all these things we wish we were better at or we're trying to live into, and it is only half the story, right? Because we're forgetting the other half, which is all the things we've already done. For 20 things that I want to be better at, I've probably done 2,000 that I've already completed, right? And so I love that this reorientation of what am I already really good at? What am I doing naturally that I might just apply consciously, like intentionally to the work I'm doing right here, that I'm just turning up the volume on what's already true. Mm-hmm. rather than constantly having to reinvent the wheel and constantly tell ourselves that we need to be getting better at the 20 things that aren't our specialty. Right. Right. So Georgia, you and I were talking, you know, a couple of weeks ago when we were hatching this idea of, of you coming on Messy Magnificent about the time of this year. So since we're talking about the seasons, now's a great time because we're coming to the transition of seasons. So for those in the Northern hemisphere, my, my friends and North America, this is the transition from summer soon into the fall, which is kind of the harvest season. Mm-hmm. And shout out to all my, all my listeners in Australia too, who I love, who are in a different season, right? But it's still, there's this transition time. And so a lot of us are starting to look at, okay, what do I want to be doing next in this next phase? What is September going to be about? And especially during this time of COVID, where there's a lot of change and shift happening. And a lot of us have had to navigate some uncertainty for a while. You and I were talking about, you know, the value of pausing mm-hmm. and culminating before we begin the next thing, right? Which for me is what ritual and ceremony is all about, right? It's that daring to culminate and harvest the wisdom of what we've just experienced so that we don't just go repeat the same cycles again and again and again, right? right. Um, so could you give a little context for 
what the process of ceremony does in terms of, to use your phrase, kind of honoring our process, Mm -hmm. acknowledging where we are before we leap to the next thing and why that matters. Yeah, I think the honoring and the acknowledging, it is so rich and it, it provides meaning that could potentially be uh, stepped over if there isn't that intentional pause. And, and harvest, thinking about the harvest and thinking about every culture has some kind of harvest ceremony or ritual. And usually it is a process where there is, you know, where people are thanking the gods I think it's interesting to think, even if you aren't a person who's going to thank God or you don't have a relationship with God, this idea of gratitude and having a ceremony of gratitude and celebration, because I think harvest ceremonies have both of those things. There's gratitude and there's celebration. And I think that in any kind of work that we're doing, regardless of what we're harvesting, there's the opportunity to have a moment of pause, a quote unquote ceremony in which we're looking at who and what is supporting us, whether that's, you know, what, who is that community? Who are the friends? Who are the family? It's not just who you work with, though. Let's give gratitude for our collaborators, our assistants, you know, the guy who serves you coffee, but also to our teachers, our guides, our friends and our family. Who can we show gratitude towards in our harvest as we celebrate. And I think what's really important about that is that it reminds us that we don't, we don't succeed alone. And in giving gratitude, we're reminded of that, that we're all interconnected and no one is doing it on their own. And in that way, it also offers the space for us to remember that we don't fail alone. When you fail, it's not just you. you. You actually do have, if you're in a practice of remembering your community, your friends, your family, your teachers, your assistant, then in the moments where you want to decide that you're alone and you failed, you can remember that you're not. What you're talking about, to me, brings such a rich sense of community forward. Even if the act of, and we'll talk in a moment more specifically about what ceremony or ritual can look like, but, but even in the act of doing something just by yourself, that there's this connection to something greater than ourselves. And I think this is what we're seeing a lot of movement around, you know, these creating of social movements and companies that are connected to social movements because there's such a deep wanting for a lot of us to be part of something bigger than ourselves. And, you know, the byproduct of being so progress oriented is that we're always looking to the future and we, we tap out of the present moment. We forget, you know, all of the things that we're connected to. And you're reminding me of, this is, go- I'm going to go back for a minute, like back in 2008, when we had the housing crisis and the huge economic downturn in 2008, you know, over in Iceland, there was a two week span where 80% of the businesses closed in Iceland. So, you know, here in the US, we were hit really hard. A lot of countries were really hit hard and Iceland in particular was really like the economic downturn was vast and extreme. And all of the banks there folded, every single one with the exception of one, I should say, in, in Reykjavik. And in that one bank was run entirely by women. In fact, it was the only bank that was run where all of the executives were women. And they had two-part system for all the housing loans that they were giving out. And the system was, we won't sell a loan where the fine print doesn't make sense to us. 
Like they were catching early on that this fine print isn't making sense. Like this isn't right. So we won't sell a loan that doesn't make sense to us. And we won't sell a housing loan to somebody who we know will not be able to afford it because we don't want to put them in the position five years from now when rates go up to lose their home. And you rem- like they dared to pause while everybody else was scooping a ton of money quick and fast and dirty. They didn't take that money, which I'm sure was an economic loss for them up front. And then they became the only bank that made it through that crisis because they dared to do what you're talking about, which was to pause and to remember their community and to be grateful for their clients, right? So to, to hold something bigger. And um, the last thing I'll say about the story, just because it's one of my favorite parts, is that the government in Iceland, when they decided to bail out the banks, just like we did here in the U.S., they put in a stipulation that for a period of time, all of the presidents of all the major banks in Iceland would have to be women. Um, that was their I learning. I love that. <laughs> right? That was their learning. And the president of that bank went on to become the prime minister of the country. I just love the, their approach and the way they addressed it. And they really looked for a long-term solution. So, yeah. you know, I just want to put in context because pausing for driven women, we don't do it because it feels good because it doesn't usually feel good at first. It can be really anxiety producing for those of us who are used to going, going, going. We pause because it is the pathway into prosperity, both Financially, we make better decisions, we're clearer, but also personal prosperity and that feeling richer and feeling more nourished, not just financially, in addition to finances, but feeling full. So as we talk about this kind of daring to pause and having a sense of intentionality, I think there's also space here, Georgia, to consider, you said something beautiful about, you know, a lot of us are doing rituals or ceremony and not realizing it, right? What's an example of that? Like, what are some of the things you see people doing or maybe you do that are kind of ritualistic in nature that maybe we're just not consciously aware of? Yeah, uh, morning routines, I feel like are a big one. You know, people, I get up, I put the water on, I then make my bed and then I go back to make the coffee. And there's just an order to um, to this beginning of my day. And it's so small and it doesn't matter what my day is gonna look like, those three or four things happen. And then there's the like next level, which could be your meditation practice or your writing practice or your kind of more ambitious practices. But when those fall away, often the coffee's still made, the teeth are brushed, the bed is also made. And I think it's about the framing of those and finding the sacredness in some of those just super mundane practices, daily practices that can be infused with some sense of, I guess, intention. I think it does sound to me like intention. And it also sounds like this topic we keep coming back to of presence, Yeah, of, of being there when we're, when we're doing the thing. I know for me, there's magic in the mundane. Yeah. Like yeah. there's magic in the mundane. And I'm somebody who doesn't like to do the same routine again and again that's what I tell myself anyway, <laughs> like that I get, I get really bored with routine. My brain likes to be entertained, but what I actually, when I look at my day, it is actually very ritualistic, you know, unconsciously. And you're bringing up something that I haven't, we haven't given voice yet to, and I'd be curious to hear your, your thoughts on this, but I know a lot of us professionally are used to having, being taught to have professional routines, to have systems. And I know that the word routine for me personally, just doesn't sound like that much fun. 
like, you know, doing the same thing again and again and again and framing it as ritual, just the choice of word, that specificity, that type of language, ritual to me sounds nourishing. And if you're listening and you're thinking rituals weirding me out, then the word is routine, right? Or the word is something else. You get to decide what your word is. But I think that, you know, what we're looking for here is a sense of what nourishes our career. And what grounds you and pulls you back into the, into the day, into the morning. It's like, if you're do if you're making your bed, you're brushing your teeth, it's your morning. And there's a knowing in that, that is very, as you spoke about, you know, the same way the seasons, that kind of security that we actually do get from the rhythms and the patterns. I mean, we could call it ritual, routine. It's also a rhythm. And I think there is magic in the mundane, as you said. It's really amazing when you can enjoy that part of the day. Yeah, the way you just said it kind of pulls you back into your knowing and a sense of security. And who doesn't want more of a sense of knowing and security right now, right? And I think if we got to have any luxury of illusion that somebody else had like a master global plan, (laughs) that illusion has been burst, especially with COVID, right? And it's a sense of perhaps the safest thing we can do is to tap into our own knowing and begin to build relationship with ourselves that we could self-source some of the information we use in order to make decisions, especially if there's a leadership gap and people aren't making the decisions we would like for us, right? So to see something as simple as the way we make our bed could just be making the bed or if done with intention, this could be your first conversation with yourself in the morning without words just through moving the body, you know, putting the sheet the way you want it to have, or actually what angle do I want to put this pillow? And we don't have to spend any more time on it than we normally would. And yet there's that sense of timelessness. Like the Greeks had two words for time. One that meant linear time, like one o'clock, two o'clock PM. And then, and then the, the other form of time, Kairos, I think of Kronos was linear time and Kairos was a sense of timelessness. And we're all looking for that sense of timelessness that happens when we're in a state of wonder or joy or presence, when a child's laughing or we're having a great time with friends and time flies or we forget what time it is. And to invite that into the morning in the way you touch your sheets or the way you brush your teeth or the way you you make coffee, we're doing that stuff anyway. And so part of what I love about what you're offering here is it's not about doing more. It's about doing presence. Doing presence. And, you know, just the other day, and this is not a routine. I mean, it's not a ritual. I don't do it every day. I made my bed. And as I was making my bed, I just intuitively was like, thank you, bed. Thank you for this house. Thank you for the sleep that I just got. Thank you to my mother's friend, Linda, who gave me this blanket. And it was just this beauty. Again, it didn't take any longer. I didn't speak it out loud, but I just had this, I filled this chore with a moment of expansiveness of, again, going back to this idea of the community where I'm from, what's supporting me, what's going to support me in the rest of the day. I'm supported because I had a good night's sleep inside of this shelter that's my apartment in New York City and this bed. And it was just such a simple, lovely practice and I think could be classified as a ceremony. A bed making ceremony. <laughs> I kind of love that for the record. I might, I'm really thinking about, okay, what is my bed making? And what's my bed unmaking ceremony? Like, how am I getting in between the sheets? What's that process like, right? At the end of the day. So what if somebody's listening and to us have this conversation about 
being intentional about acknowledging, you know, there's the 20 things we want to get to, and then there's all the things we've done. And during this time of stepping into a new season, you know, that really this is a great moment to consciously pause and, and cultivate some ritual or ceremony. And I'm wondering, what could it look like for somebody to build a small intentional ritual? If they mm-hmm. actually wanted to set aside a few moments to go a little deeper into this, what could creating ritual around our own labor look like? Yeah, I think about the harvest. I think about harvest ceremonies as honoring labor and the fruits of the labor. And so I think the first step is to reflect on what is your labor? What are you doing? What is your quote unquote work? And maybe that's a practice of just uh, journaling for three minutes or having a conversation with someone or just making your bed and thinking about that question. And then maybe the next step is the how, where, and who. How, meaning what are the tools you're using in this labor? Is it your computer, your phone, your calendar, your hands, a mop? What is helping support this labor? Where is it taking place? For many of us, it's now in our domestic spaces, not all of us, but where, what is the space, where, what is the site of this labor and the who going back to this idea of thinking about your network or community. I'm taking this workshop with Dr. Frantonia and she's really always reminding us to think about our guy, like our teachers and our lineage. And I think we can think about that in the term, you know, what came before us, but also just what's in our lifetime and also what's in our lifetime, who has supported you, who's supporting you now, making a list of those people, friends, families, family members, those who are part of your actual work, labor, job. And with those elements, I think I often say when I work with people, it's always a practice for me of determining or uncovering with the people I'm working with, where they're oriented to. So maybe the idea of the tools feels really significant or feels important to you, or maybe this idea of space feels like the thing that you want to move towards or the who, and it's different for all of us, what kind of feeds our maybe labor. And then once you can determine that, it's a practice, I think, of, of again, in the ethos of the harvest ceremony, how you can offer gratitude and celebrate either those tools, those people, or the place. And your actual labor that you began with, right? I love that you are including self within this ceremony, right? That we're, we're including our, our contributions in the scope of the work that is emerging or has emerged. There's something so, just as you describe this simple ceremony, so whole about it. There's something that feels so nourishing about the acknowledgement of the fullness in our lives, you know? And I know that when I'm doing a lot, I should be more specific, when I'm doing too much, when I'm doing more that is actually reasonable for me to be doing, I notice that I become insatiable. I become hungry and not just physically. Like I become hungry for more information. I should be online more. I should be doing more emails. I'm checking my social media more. Like there's this insatiableness when I'm doing too much, which is really interesting. And as you describe a ritual like this and the rituals that you've created for me, there's such a sense of, of being fed 
and being aware of the fullness that is already there. That's so easy to miss when we're doing all the things, right? When we're, we're on the road. And I never thought about it until this moment, but one of the things that I had a really hard time with when I would tour with celebrities, when I would, when I would be on the bus was like, I was definitely insatiable during that time. I would argue that a lot of the people I was working with and a lot of the um, entourages I was in, we were just generally insatiable. And I just felt like consumers, we consumed so much. And I would think about even just like all of our water on the bus was coming from plastic water bottles because we're getting water from like gas stations or wherever we can get it, you know? And it was like all this plastic waste we're throwing out. And like, here I am, quote unquote, at the height of professional luxury for a coach who's like, on private jets and doing all this fancy stuff. And yet insatiable. It was never for me personally, and everyone's totally different. It was never deeply fulfilling. And what you're reminding me of is it was like, I was missing that element of presence because it was just always on to the next thing, literally just life in motion, constantly living in a tour bus is constantly moving. So a ritual like this is the call back to presence that you're talking about, which we know alters our nervous system. We know that this makes us better creative problem solvers. We know that we get more done in less time when we dare to do this. But I think what you're doing is you're giving those of us who are doing a lot, the pathway back home to ourselves. Because sometimes to just sit and meditate is too far of a gap between doing all the things and meditating. I think that's part of why it's excruciating. And so for some of us, and so what you're offering here is like the path back home. To, right. to a little bit of stillness. Like here's the tangible activity that you could be doing right. that's guiding you back. And I want everybody listening to know that Georgia has so generously offered to actually create this ritual for us. And it's going to be available on in the show notes for this episode. So wherever you're hearing this or go to carlyfane.com and you can download the actual written ritual where Georgia will guide you step-by-step step through creating your own harvest ceremony to acknowledge how much you've done. Yeah. And I think, yes, of course. And I think the first part of it, like you're saying, is the pause and the reflecting, deciding how you want to honor the thing. I'll definitely give some suggestions, but I do think there's so much richness in even just making the list of who are the people, what are the tools, what is the space, you know, just having that, like you said, going to the concrete is really the first step. And then the honoring can, it can be small. It can be like making the bed. It can be placing a flower next to the tool. It can be printing out a photo of one of those people that you're grateful for and having it on your desk for a week. But really taking the time to have a conversation with yourself about your labor in a non-product oriented way, in a way that is around the process and also takes into consideration everything that's holding the process. Yes. You, you remind me of Kate Northrup talks a lot about this idea of P and P like progress and presence, right? And like what you're offering here is both. How do we honor the goals we have, the dreams we have, the things we're living towards and find a moment of contentment with what is, you know, and so much of our suffering is that space between where we are and where we imagine we should be. Right. Right. (laughs) So I'm like, just to like get back to where we actually are for a moment, stop future planning and past worrying and, and to be here. Right. And I think about the, this phrase that you hear over and over again, at least in the art, (laughs) in art school, that you have to make a hundred bad paintings before you make one good one. And I think that's true of anyone who's 
in an endeavor that they've never done before and they are making it up as they go. And we know that we are going to make a hundred bad paintings. We hear it, we experience it. But I think when you really have a practice of creating ceremony or ritual or giving attention to process, it allows you to start to see the value of the bad paintings as they're being made and not just retroactively. Okay, I'm just going to like stop and breathe on that for a second, right? Because just like for those of us who are recovering perfectionists, to not see each mess up as a failure, but to see it as this is part of the grand masterpiece I'm creating, right? This is painting number six in my 100 paintings that I will be making figuratively if you're not an artist, right? But like this, and so like, and now I've completed number six, and I'm and in this for great, the process. Yes, right. And what um and that of course is that's like the antithesis of the culture we live in. We only value the 100 bad paintings when we've made 101 and that last one's good. All of a sudden, we want to go back and celebrate all of the failures. But how incredible would it be and not that I know how to do this and it's a real practice, but how incredible would it be if we could find a way to honor and acknowledge those paintings as they're being made. Amen to that. (laughs) That is so good. Georgia, before we let you go, would you feel game to do our two-way Q&A here? Yes, yes. All right. So the way this works for those who are listening for the first time is we're going to ask Georgia a couple questions and she's going to ask you one. The intention of all these conversations we have here is that they are lifelong conversations, that they are the beginning of sparking some ideas that then we can continue to connect around and live into together. So, Georgia, if you came with a warning label, what might it say? Can I give two warning labels? Absolutely. (laughs) Okay. First one, strong and sensitive. Sensitive and strong, depending on the day. Um, (laughs) And then it's funny because I I love your podcast and I was listening and I love this question and I asked my partner last night I was like hey if I came with a warning label what would it be and immediately he said he came up with it <laughs> he said will say something which is basically speaking to the fact that I though I consider myself a pretty amiable non confrontational person when I perceive something going down that I think is unjust or hypocritical or cruel, I will, with quite a bit of passion, say something. And he's witnessed this over and over again. So (laughs) that was his warning. (laughs) We'll say something. I love that for all of us. I'm kind of scared if we ask the close people in our lives, but what warning labels they might assign us. But I love how those two go so beautifully together because that's the combination of strength and sensitivity, isn't it? Completely. I didn't actually think about that at all, right? Now I'm seeing it as slightly less... um, you know, he's pointing to his lived experience of it, but yeah. Right. That's how it is on the outside versus on the the inside. That's beautiful. So based on our conversation today, what's one question you might have for somebody listening? What would you want to know from them? What is one effort, not product, not success, one effort that you would like to acknowledge that you're invested in right now? So I acknowledge my effort to or attempt at practice of, and really just going, doing some reflecting and thinking about what you're in practice with that you can acknowledge. 
Oh my gosh, I love that. Because that's so full circle on all the threads you've brought forward about honoring the process, right? Not just the end game, but the, the middle, <laughs> the now. Um, and so just so you know, when Georgia asks a question like that, and I'll second this, we really want to hear your answers. We want to see. So go write this in the review on iTunes or post it on social media and tag us. I'll make sure you've got all of Georgia's social media and website links. Those will be in the show notes so that we can continue this conversation yeah. in community together. And it's a practice to do this practice myself. So again, like hearing how other people are engaging that in this way would feed me too, for sure. You know, like hearing how, what other people are working at and I feel hearing the voices of many women who are putting forth what they are working towards bolsters me in my own work towards undoing this feeling that the product is the thing I always have to have my eye on. The next step, where do I want to be? So yeah, I would love to hear those of you listening where you're at with this. So one last question for you, Georgia. What is one thing that even if other people disagree, you know to be true? That there are things we can't describe in language, that there is knowing that doesn't have words attached to it, and that there are ways of expressing that knowing through, through the way we engage with others, the way we treat ourselves, through practices that create beauty for ourselves and for the world. Thank you so much for being here, Georgia. I really appreciate the presence that you brought to this conversation and the way you reframe to create room for who we really are in the way we show up for our work, that we're not forcing ourselves into any mold, but that instead we're, we're creating the mold for ourselves and for each other. There's such a sense of community care in the work that you do in the world. And for that, I'm really grateful. And we will make a point. All of Georgia's contact information is right here. We want to hear what you're doing, what you are in process or practice or attempting right now. And we'll take the conversation from there. Thank you, Georgia. Thank you so much for having me. For everybody listening, remember, we thrive through nourishment, not punishment. Keep honoring what you value, including your process. And we'll see you again next week. Thank you for listening to the Messy and Magnificent podcast and being part of this dynamic, life-giving community of women. I consider each episode part of a lifelong conversation of you and me hanging out, sipping tea together, making sure that all women become richer, more nourished, and able to keep on rising. So I'll see you on the next episode next week. But in the meantime, don't forget to head over to carlyfane.com forward slash podcast to get the full show notes. And I've also got some extra special free resources for driven women over there that you won't find anywhere else.